the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. Celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630 The Word. Visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. about you, but I feel like it's Monday. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Them for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. All you have to do is call us, 210-340-9585. If you happen to be outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car on this warm summer day, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else is hands-free. You'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Hope you had a great weekend in church. It was a great time here uh, yesterday, Friday and yesterday. Actually, Friday, Saturday, and yesterday. I had a full weekend this weekend. Stuff going on. I uh, pray that people got saved at your church. I hope some people got saved here, but uh, I pray that people got saved at your church with everyone that comes to Jesus. We're one closer to Jesus coming for his church, and boy, I am excited about that. Hey, tonight here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we are resuming our Monday night Bible studies. For the ladies, it is our Sweet Summer Devotion series. Uh, Kendall will be sharing her heart tonight, and this is always a great time. Uh, It's always better in person because you get to participate in the Q&A that comes afterwards and the discussion uh, that follows, and it's always uh, a blessing. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can make it a family affair. The men will be studying with Pastor Ken. Uh, and then uh, your junior high schoolers and high schoolers also have uh, Monday night Bible studies with Pastor Chris and Pastor Matthew. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock. We also have child care for the younger ones. So a good night just to get out and be with the people of God and with um, you and the Lord. Okay, let me get to questions that have been sent. we got a whole bunch of sent in from our uh, email side and app side. Um, I'll just tell you up front, I'm not an expert on some of these things. And Mario's question is the first one from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. He says, my Hispanic wife is so argumentative. She says that's her roots and that is her Mexican culture. That's what we do. She knows her job is to be meek and quiet, but when conflict arises, she gets loud and very emotional. How do I handle her? Mario, there's so much here. There is so much here. First and foremost, um, the Bible never says that a woman's job is to be meek and quiet. We're all to be meek. That's power under control, but not timid. And your wife is your partner. And uh, what she thinks matters a great deal. 
So this idea that wives are supposed to be meek and quiet, let me just ask you this question, Mauro. Have you ever listened to Paula on the radio? For now, 52 years, we've been together, and I don't think there's been a meek or quiet moment, and I love it. I love the fact that she is uh, concerned enough about me to, to tell me what she thinks. I ask her for her counsel all the time. I know that she prays. I know that she's really seeking the Lord. And um, so the idea of being meek and quiet, I don't think, is an appropriate um, description of the wife's role in the home. Now, when conflict arises, she gets loud and very emotional. Mario, that's a problem. So um, that, that she's argumentative, that's a problem. But the one thing you don't want to do is you don't want to handle her. Here's what you do. You pray for her. You make sure that you don't become argumentative. You make sure that you're the one setting the example in your home about what godly behavior is. Uh, you're the one who's demonstrating the, the genuine fruit of the Spirit. Um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Those are the kind of things that you can model for her. Um, and then when you're in the Bible together, and, and Mara, I'm just going to say this up front. If, if you and your wife are not in the Bible together, these things aren't going to get handled. Because her opinion is going to prevail or your opinion is going to prevail and you're going to find this widening divide. And this is a change in life that can only be accommodated by the Holy Spirit. So that's why you pray for her. That's why you model what the genuine fruit of the Spirit is. And that's why you're in the Word together. People just don't believe me on this until they try it. Um, I've got a couple in my church that I need to have on this radio program one day. It's it's just been amazing. Um, um, Nigel and Greta, it's just been amazing to see what God has done in just this last year or so in their marriage. And it's because they're sitting down together with the Word. They're sitting down together and they're praying. And when we do that, the Holy Spirit is working and He does this supernatural work of knitting hearts together. And it can't be done any other way. It is clear your wife has some opinions. Well, this is just the way I am. If I had a dollar for every time somebody told me this is just the way I am to explain why they are sinners, I would have enough money to buy all of the buildings in San Antonio, Texas. So here's the idea. Let God change you. You stop trying to. But remember, you're... As the leader, the spiritual head of the house, you're the one that has to set the example. You're the one that has to be meek. Remember, that's power under control. That's not being timid. You're the one that needs to be gentle and kind. And if you will just be disciplined enough to sit down with your wife and be together in the Word, the Holy Spirit will change your heart. Our problem is that it doesn't happen as fast as we want it to. I've actually had people come to me, Mario, and say, well, you know, I've been we've been reading in, uh, for a week and she hasn't changed yet or he hasn't changed yet. No, let God change you. Let God change her. And that will happen. But the real benefit of this is that uh, your hearts will be knit together and you'll truly begin to walk as one flesh. That's really important. One final thought on this, Mario. Uh, I don't care if you're Hispanic. I don't care if you're white. I don't care if you're African-American. There is no cultural roots that don't need to be replaced by bib biblical ones. Okay, when we come to Christ, the old is gone, the new has come. And our identity isn't in our heritage. Our identity isn't in our ancestry. Our identity isn't in our sexuality. As Christians, our identity is found in Christ. And we've got to understand that. And to use my background or my culture, or this is just the way I've always been, as an explanation for why we're sinning, well, you see, that's the good thing about being in the Word. The Holy Spirit will not let that go by. So, Mario, I hope that makes sense to you. Um, there's no formula except God. He'll do the work. Thank you for the question. I appreciate it very, very much. 
Here's a question this time from Juan from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor On, with the dozens of immigrants who died a couple of weeks ago. How are Christians supposed to feel when there are open borders? Are we advocating closed borders and allow immigrants to walk right over? Uh, I'm conflicted. The Bible says Jesus died for everyone. Would Jesus advocate for closed borders and us protecting ourselves with guns? I suppose this is a two-part question, closed borders and owning guns. What does the Bible say? Thank you, Pastor. Um, you know, one, the, the Bible doesn't deal with, with our laws, specifically in the United States. I can say generally, um, we're a nation of laws. And because we're a nation of laws, there has to be um, the the enforcement of those laws. Now, uh, I've been asked over the years about the immigration problems and the and the border situation. Uh, I don't know dozens of times. And the problem is for Christians. And I know this is not a very satisfying answer because we want to know what to do. But 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 we're not responsible for the laws. I always tell people, if you want to change the laws regarding immigration, then vote for the people, actively vote for the people that support the the particular point of view regarding the law that you do. And people say, well, that's going to take forever. We can't just seek quick results. So here's our role with the immigration situation. It's easy. Um, we pray for people to get saved all the time. We pray for opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. So one, here's what our response is as a believer, is we treat everybody like our neighbor, the parable of the Good Samaritan, who's our neighbor, anybody who's in front of our face. We never ask anybody here at Calvary Chapel when they're here, are they legal or illegal? What we do is we treat everybody the same when they're new or if they've been here for a long time. We treat them as though they need to hear the gospel. And once having received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, we teach them to be disciples. And I've never had to ask the question, are you illegal or are you legal? I've never had to ask that question. But you see, that doesn't solve the problem on the border, but but that's not Christian's problem to solve. So we treat everybody the same way. We treat them in love. You know, as we pray for people uh, here at Calvary Chapel, we pray for the lost and the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, the confused, the fearful, and the angry. Um, We want those people in church to hear the word. So when somebody comes in, regardless of where they're from or how they got here, we treat them the way Jesus would treat them. We love on them and we love uh, um, uh, ministering alongside them. That's our response as Christians. And the rest of the world, well, the rest of the world is going to do what the world does. Now, the problems that we have is that we have laws that are not being um, recognized. They're certainly not being enforced. And that's what leads to, it's amazing, with open borders, we've still got people coming by in trucks. Now, I was on vacation when when the 53 immigrants, tragically, um, were, were murdered, and that's what they were. They were murdered. Uh, in the back of that truck here a couple of weeks ago in San Antonio. Um, but you see, even with open borders, we've got the coyotes and and others bringing people over and abandoning them. I, I mean, that's just mass murder. It's amazing that there wasn't the outpouring against that that there has been against these shootings that have happened in other parts of the country where even fewer people died. I think that's the problem. I think that reveals a lot about our hearts. So is the best way to deal with the borders, is it to enforce the law? I don't know. I just know as Christians we're supposed to be law-abiding citizens. And if that law does not um, require us to violate what the Bible tells us to do, then we're to do the best that we can to support it. And we've got mechanisms in this country for changing those laws. But anytime you have a law that is not enforced, well, then the problem you have is that lawlessness is ruling and reigning, and certainly Jesus would never advocate that. It's interesting that we can't go to other countries 
freely. And yet we want other people to come into our country without any requirement or understanding. You know, Jesus said, the poor you will have with you always. We've got people who are trying to pour into our country from other countries. And and that's why there are laws to establish how that happens. But the result is that we have just been um, part of a lawless world. And uh, depending on which political party is in, in charge or in control, um, we have completely different approaches to it. And it shouldn't be. The law is the law, and the law needs to be enforced. And then let me reinforce this one. Um, our job is to be kind and show the love of Jesus Christ and be able and willing to help anybody and everybody who God brings in front of our path. So there are two separate issues, our, indi- our individual response as Christians and then the law. The, this is not a Christian nation. Um, we elect our representatives who, who uh, make the laws, and it is very problematic if people don't enforce those laws. So that's the immigration situation. We need to look at the smaller day-to-day picture as Christians and just be there for, to, to love people. And then let those who we elect to solve the immigration problems, let them deal with the larger problem. We don't have any power or authority to do so. Now, regarding guns, I, I don't understand what the big deal about guns is. I really don't. Our country has had the right to bear arms. It is a guaranteed right in our Constitution. I am not. Let me say this in before I'm going to make this statement. I am not a gun guy. Uh, I've owned one gun in my life. I owned it for about uh, a week. Uh, took it out and shot it once. Absolutely didn't like it. I mean, it just it was it was loud. It was I, there was just nothing about it. That, that was uh, attractive to me. So we got rid of the gun very, very quickly. Um, so having said that, uh, having a gun, the right to bear arms, is a constitutional right that we have been granted from the beginning, the foundation of this country. And it is startling to me, Juan, startling, that we aren't looking around and identifying the real problem. Guns have always been around We've always had the, 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 the constitutional right to carry them. That hasn't changed. What has changed are the people. Now, I almost never say anything racial, but I'm going to say something that some might consider that right now. We've got a problem in our country with young white men who are disturbed mentally, even some of them demon-possessed, loners, video gamers, kids that don't fit in in what we would consider normal, healthy life. They're not under the authority of their parents. They're uncontrollable. Wait a minute. Didn't Paul say that all those things would happen in the very last days? So the problem isn't the gun. That hasn't changed. The problem is that it's people who are changing. And we have raised an entire generation of people, and it's now getting worse, to, 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 to believe that right is wrong and wrong is right. Um, to, to put people under authority is now considered restrictive. To tell people what they can do and can't do. Uh, we're considered now bad parents, abusive parents, controlling parents. Um, But the reality is that these are very, very disturbed young men in particular. Not exclusively, but almost exclusively. They're young men. And we've taught them that they come from monkeys. We've taught them that there is no God. We've taught them that they can decide what's right and what's wrong on their own, that they've got the freedom to do that. I don't know why we're surprised about this stuff. And again, I want to remind you in the audience that Paul said this is exactly the way things should be. So our answer, one, is people need Jesus. We treat them with the love of Christ. We share the gospel with them. But then they've got to make a choice. Whether they come from foreign countries or whether they come here. 
inherently there's nothing racist about immigration laws. Every country on this earth has them. We've just got to decide what we want the law to be. And if it's not what it is, not what we have now, then we need to change the law, but we need to do it within the confines of our system. Relative to guns, one more time, the gun is a tool. And people like those who have been instrumental in these mass shootings, guilty in these mass shootings, those people are going to find guns whether we toughen the gun laws or not. The problem isn't the tool. The problem is the one wielding the tool, and we've already told them it's okay to do whatever they want. And I hope that makes sense, Juan. Um, these are problems that uh, we can't resolve. It's not what part of the mission that Jesus has told us is important to us. In the meantime, our responsibility in these last days is to tell people the answer. And, of course, his name is Jesus. Thank you, Juan, for that question. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Here's a question from Randy from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. I wanted to seek advice I can give to my brother. We're both saved along with our wives. Good. Uh, that's me, by the way. Uh, he mentioned to me that they were in the middle of a marital disagreement. His wife and her family are in a family business of 10 years. She found out that they are doing things that are not honoring to the Lord. My brother and her have both agreed that they need to get out of the business. However, his wife hasn't said anything because she doesn't want to let her family down. This has been going on for four months now. How do we handle situations when our spouse is unwilling to do what the Lord has told him or her to do? Is the other spouse going to receive consequences because of the unwilling spouse uh, has not responded to Jesus? Boy, there's a, there's a lot here as well, Randy. You know, Randy, the, the, the man, the, the, the husband is the head of the home. And a, a woman who will not submit to the leadership of her husband is a woman who is out of control and is a woman who is going to compromise her walk. And in this particular case, uh, it appears that this woman, just to make peace in the family, she doesn't want to let her family down. She's willing to let Jesus down. It's that simple. Now, this is what your family needs to do. They need to get into pastoral counseling immediately, Randy. Immediately. This is one of those things that's so easy. We can open a Bible. Now, wherever they live and wherever they go to church, they can open a Bible and say, this is what our response is. Jesus talks a lot about honoring him, putting him before even our blood family. I had a message about that yesterday, um, in, in straight from the, the, the mouth of Jesus himself. She is compromised. And her compromise uh, could lead to, uh, I don't know what you mean by not honoring to the Lord, but if those things are illegal, if they're cheating, if they're lying, uh, that's outright sin. She's condoning sin. And uh, she's doing it because she loves her family more than she loves God. It's that simple. And so what I would do if I were you, Randy, is beg them to get into marital, into pre-marriage, or not pre-marriage, but marital counseling, pastoral counseling. And then they got to decide. And this is a place where if she is going to continue to do things that aren't honoring to the Lord, he has to take a stand for Jesus, and, and he's got to just deal with the consequences. This isn't something that they can agree on. This isn't an area that they can negotiate on. It's not one of the things where we can say, well, well, you know, on the really big things, we'll, we'll say we can't do this anymore. No, it's got to be done. Do all things as unto the Lord, Paul writes, over and over. And so what we've got to do as Christians is do what's right and be willing to pay the price. Whatever uh, the consequences are that we receive from our family, we do that because we love Jesus more. I can't tell you, Randy, how important this is. Because as they continue to do things and be a part of things that are not honoring to the Lord, their walk is going to be so compromised. If they have children, children are watching them in this compromise. So it's just real simple. 
This is, are you going to do what God says or not? And eventually the Lord is going to bring about severe consequences. So it's a business. I'm sure they want God's blessing on the business. It's impossible to have God's blessing on a business that is doing things that aren't going to be honoring to him. That's really, really important. So that's what they do. Now, four months is too long. This should have been handled right away. And all Christian husbands and wives have to do when situations like this come up is agree to open the Bible and say, let's do what he says. Have nothing to do with those, especially those who claim to be Christians, have nothing to do with them if they're doing things that are dishonoring to the Lord. I just don't think it can be any more clear than that. You said... What do we do when our spouse is unwilling? The leader of that house has got to take a stand for Jesus Christ. And by the way, if it's the man, if in, not, in this case it's the wife, but if it were a man, then the wife has got to stand up and say, I'm not going to do things that are wrong any longer. We have to change, or I'm not going to be a part of it. Jesus will honor that kind of stand. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday show. Our phones are quiet, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life, celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630, The Word. We're taking your calls at 210-340-9585. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the program. We've got 30 minutes to take your phone calls and answer some other questions. Uh, let's go to Ruben from Seguin on line one. Ruben, thanks for being patient and holding over the break. You're on the air. Ron, uh, can you hear me? I can hear you, Ruben. Uh, happy anniversary. Wow, I cannot <laughs> believe it's been 10, 10 years that we've... Uh, known each other over the phone and and 10 years of your ministry more more importantly i want to say congratulations on this this milestone of 10 years that god has used you uh tremendously i can i can say for me me in my life you have impacted my life tremendously you have uh definitely changed the course of my sales, so to speak, if I could use that metaphor, um, mm-hmm. with the true Word of God, and pointed me in, in the right direction and have helped me ever since then. Uh, I want to wish you many more years. And, <laughs> Thank um, you, I, I, am, I am pretty sure that I am, I am positive that there are other people out there who, who you've blessed uh, just like me, so I definitely Thank want to you, tell Ruben. you um, you're welcome. Uh, <laughs> then my, my my question, if I may, um, as I was reading the New Testament, um, uh, I just wanted to know exactly what did Jesus mean? Uh, did he mean uh, when he said when he told his his disciples? Uh, the greater things and will you do and you know these things you will do but they will be greater and mm-hmm. and uh did he mean his disciples or did he mean for today's people that there there will be people who will raise the dead who will you know do these miraculous you know signs and miracles and wonders that he did in his time yeah good question ruben um, you, you know, a couple of things. One, we, we read that, and, and it, just as you've done, we focus on the, the miracles. That's not the greater things that Jesus is talking about. Uh, when he says, and greater things will you do, he's not talking about the quality of miracles. I mean, Jesus walked on water. Jesus took a, a gold piece out of a fish's mouth. Uh, Jesus healed the lepers and gave sight to the blind. I mean, Jesus healed entire villages of people so so it's not talking about the 
quantity or the quality rather of miracle. What he's talking about is the quantity of work. So here's what he's telling his disciples. And in context, this is directly to his disciples. And he's saying greater things than you've seen me do. You're going to do those things. Now, here's how we have to view that. Um, When Jesus died, we knew that he had 11 disciples following him. There was a group of women and other people that were always sort of hanging around. And we know that number totaled about 120 uh, who who were impacted by his ministry and, and we would say became believers. Um, uh, the first day of the church, uh, 3,000 men, uh, no telling how many wives and children, 3,000 men got saved. A couple of days later, 5,000 men. And, and in addition, women and children were added to the church. So in just a matter of a week, excuse me, in just a matter of a week, um, th- there were, were, were probably 20,000 people who are Jesus' followers. And so that's what he means there. And he's telling the disciples, it's not about the miracles. He, he says in another place, evil an evil and adulterous generation seeks after signs. So he's not talking about they're going to go out and do those things, but greater things in these will you do. And he's talking about the result of the ministry. Now, we also know that there were many miracles done by the apostles. And in the book of Acts, that's made very clear. And in our Christian culture, we sort of immediately say, uh, well, well, they could do those miracles, so we can do those miracles. The Holy Spirit's careful to point out that they were done by the apostles, and those signs and wonders, Reuben, were done to validate their ministry or their calling as an apostle of Jesus Christ. So in the early church, there were still miracles like that being done all the time. We've got examples of them throughout the book of Acts. But 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 the, the the totality of his statement, greater things in these will you do, he was talking about the exponential growth of the Church of Jesus Christ. He 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 ministered in a very small geographical area. He walked from place to place, he moved really slowly. Um he had hundred and twenty or so people following him um after three and a half years of, of ministry. Um you know, after a week of ministry under the inspiration and power of the Holy Spirit. There were thousands upon thousands. So that's what he's talking about, Reuben. Not that we're going to go out and raise the dead and give sight to the blind. Again, those things occasionally happen. Um, but, but when I say occasionally, by definition, a miracle is something that is out of the ordinary. And our church culture has tried to make those miracles ordinary. And in the process of doing that, Reuben, we have cheapened the value of a miracle. Reuben, thanks very much. I appreciate the question. Thank you. Um, and, and your kind words were so gracious. You know, Reuben, uh, I think between you and Anthony, um, you've, been, you, you've been here the whole 10 years. So we've seen some pretty good movement in your heart and life as well. Thank you, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Bye. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from Carlson from our email inbox. And he says, by no means is this question meant to sound disrespectful, but two passages seem to say that Jesus is denying his own deity. Mark chapter 10, verse 18. Why would Jesus question about being called good? And then he goes on to say in Mark chapter 10, verse 40, that no one is good except God alone. And then he says this, Jesus is God, so this confuses me. Again, Jesus is, is saying it is not for him to decide who sits at his right or left, but he is God. So why would he not have a say in the seating arrangements? I love this the timing of this question. Um, I, I've been... Uh, teaching on the Rich Young Ruler for the last couple of Sundays uh, that I was here, one before vacation and then yesterday, um, a little bit sort of a recap coming into what we're going. And then this coming Sunday, Carlson, I'm going to be teaching this very passage where James and, and John come to him and say, we want you to do whatever we ask. And they ask for the seats on his right and his left. And Jesus says, those seats aren't mine to give. Now, here's what you have to understand 
all of this in light of the kenosis of God or the kenosis of Jesus. Philippians chapter 2, Jesus veiled his deity. So all these things, of course, Jesus knows now. But when he was here, his ministry was human. He didn't come and, 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 and live a perfect life because he was God. He did it by the power of the Holy Spirit. He set an example for us, but he lived for 33 plus years as a human being. And there were things, according to Philippians chapter 2, that he didn't know, he didn't have access to. Those things were veiled from him. It didn't cheapen or diminish his deity at all. He still was God in human flesh, 100% man and 100% God, but um, there were things that the Father kept from him in his incarnation. And he did that for you and for me, Carlson. So that's really, really important. Um, he walked this earth just like you and I did, completely dependent on the Holy Spirit and conversation through prayer with his Father. So uh, it's not that he didn't know stuff. Now let's talk about uh, th- those two passages of Scripture. Why would Jesus question about being called good? Well, the rich young ruler, when he approached Jesus and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus stopped him in his tracks and said, Why do you call me good? There's no one good but God. And Jewish rabbis, and we have to remember always the Jewishness of Jesus' ministry, Jewish rabbis forbid any man from being called good because it was commonly accepted that only God was good. That they understood the doctrine of original sin, I think, better than we, we give them credit for. And so what the rich young ruler was doing by calling Jesus good teacher, he was saying, I know who you are. And that's why Jesus stopped him, and that's why Jesus looked at him and loved him and was so direct with him. So the rich young ruler, because he knew who Jesus was, and he came to Jesus asking a question, a question that ultimately he didn't, he didn't respond to the answer to. He asked him this question. He's really accountable because he knew that it was God. Jesus was God incarnate, the, the Christ or the Messiah of Israel. And, um, and, and, and Jesus was just holding him more accountable, basically saying, boy, the stakes for saying good teacher are really high now because if you don't take my advice, you're rejecting God. That's what he's saying. So um, Jesus said no one is good except God. That That's kind of the, the rabbinic thinking of the day. Now, the question about um, um, these seats belong to those to whom they've been granted. No, to sit at my right or my left is not mine to grant. Um, those seats, Jesus just told his disciples, he's going to, um, they will sit in the kingdom. When his kingdom comes, in the age to come, He will. Uh, they will sit on 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And that's why John and James kind of came to him sneakily, sent their mother, and said, can we either see in the right and left? They wanted to be close to him. Now, their motive was probably okay, and the question was appropriate. But here's what he's saying. The seats on my right and my left when I come into my kingdom, those seats have already been given by my Father in heaven. Now, I have an opinion, a very strong opinion about this. I think the seat on his left is going to be King David. He's called uh, Israel's prince, um, as it refers to the millennial age. That's from Ezekiel uh, chapters 37 and 38. Uh, And the seat on the right, I believe, is the Apostle Paul. And then there will also be 12 thrones for the 11 plus uh, the the, uh, apostle who was chosen, Matthias, to replace Judas. So it's not that Jesus didn't know those things or couldn't know those things. He he obviously knows those things now, but then it was just hidden from him. Good question, Carlson. Thanks very, very much for that. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from our email inbox. This one comes from Jerry. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. Is it okay for churches and professing Christians and pastors to post on social media? when they are feeding the homeless or praying for people in public. It seems prideful when they do things like this. Does Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 8 apply here to those social media posts? Now, I'm not going to read all eight verses, but 
Um, this is Jesus warning the, the religious leaders of his day, uh, and I think of our day too, by the way, but he's warning them um, to, to, to do things, not to be seen by them, um, not to be acknowledged. He said, if we do that, we'll have no reward in heaven. Uh, and then he says, no, just give. Don't sit your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And the idea is that our giving and our good works must be done in secret. So, Jerry, I believe with all of my heart that that Matthew chapter 6, those first eight verses apply to all of us. Uh, I think it is offensive, and I I know I'm really running against the culture here, Uh, but um, when churches brag about all the things that they do, uh, when they, they, they social media posts and things like that, and that's one thing to say we're having a an event, but it's another thing to bombard uh, social media with those posts. Um, I, I don't think Jesus would approve, and uh, I'll just tell you up front, uh, as strongly as I believe that, I am way, way, way in the minority because people like to post about the good things they do. And I think Jesus would just say, how about you just do them because you've got an audience in heaven. I'm watching. The angels in heaven are watching. And um, I'll also say this, Jerry. Um, if I'm right, and I believe that I am in this case, um, I'm fighting a losing battle. This isn't going to change. Uh, I, I, my goodness, we take pictures of our food. We can't eat a meal without taking pictures of our food. So when we're doing a church event or something, um, people are going to keep posting it on social media. The younger people get, um, the, the more everything has to be documented out there for public consumption. I just don't think it is um, uh, a good example of humility and godly humility. I just don't think it is. So again, Jerry, I, I recognize that uh, there are going to be way more people who disagree with me than those who agree with me. Thank you for the question, though. I appreciate it very, very much. Here is a question from Paul. He said, Most Christians really look forward to being in heaven, but actually love life here on earth. Is something wrong with me? Yeah, Paul, I think so. I, I love my life. i got to tell you, I love my life too, Paul. Um, but compared to heaven, my goodness, it's not even close. So I love my life, and I, I want it to get better here. But I know ultimately my my reward is being with Jesus. Uh, Peter calls being with Jesus the goal of our salvation. And and I think what you need to do, Paul, is is uh, sort of ask God to help you change your perspective. Stop looking around at the things here on earth. They're a gift from God. But God has blessed you in this life, and I'm grateful that you love your life. Uh, but he's blessed you in this life, but but there's a responsibility that comes with that. And that responsibility is to convince others that this life is a cursed life and we need to, we need to be excited about heaven. And we do that by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, letting the Holy Spirit work in us and through us. So uh, I'm one of those most Christians who really look forward to being in heaven. I want to see Jesus more than I want my next breath. That does not diminish one bit how much I enjoy my life here. You know, yesterday, Paul, I got to give a message here at the church uh, about our family. Um, and I, I personalize it, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. But 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 every church should be like this. Um, I'm so blessed by the people God has surrounded us with in our 27 years here. Uh, I get to see lives change. Uh, I'm blessed with the, 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 the responsibility of this radio program. Um... um for any of you who've been around for all 10 years, and I say this with deep respect and love, um, you know how messed up Reuben was when he started calling. And I've watched God grab his heart, and I've watched Reuben respond to the Holy Spirit, and God lets me be a part of that. And, and Reuben is a dear, dear friend who I've never actually met face to face. But you see, that's just the way God blesses us. And so I love my life. I don't want anybody to misunderstand. But to see Jesus, Paul said, departing and being with Christ is better by far. 
So I would suggest, Paul, a, a, a heavenly perspective rather than a temporal one. Keep looking higher and higher. Set your mind, the place of decision, and your heart, the place of affection, on things above, where Jesus is seated at the right hand of the glory of, of heaven. So just look up, and God will change that. If you ask him, he'll change it. Good question. Here's an anonymous question, and this is one of my, this is a heartbreaking one for me. Uh, he says, I've been a Christian for 30 years, and I've taught Bible studies during most of that time. I've been reading a blog that is has me convinced that the Bible is not inerrant, and I'm crushed. If that's true, I believe there is no God. And if it's true, it means I've been leading people astray for years. What should I do now? Anonymous, the one thing I think you ought to do, and please forgive my bluntness here, you need to repent. You would read a blog and you would take the word of, of, of liberal Christians, and by that I mean liberal theologically, and you would let them, with their fine-sounding arguments, rob you of the source of the strength of your walk with Jesus. Think about that. From the beginning, the devil has been saying, did God really say? That's why our Bible is being attacked. That's why you can go on these so-called Christian blogs, and I mean that very specifically, so-called. These are not real Christians. If the Bible is not inerrant, if the Bible is not literally true, then we're all lost. We have no way of knowing who God is. And here's the payoff, and here's what you'll understand if, if you're on that blog and you're, you're reading comments with people and you're, you're, you're exchanging uh, ideas with them, comments with them, um, you're going to find they're, they're living lives that have no direction. And there's no Christian fruit coming from their lives. Now, they'll sit and talk about Christian things. But typically, they've decided that some sin is okay. They've decided that if the Bible's not inerrant, then I can believe whatever makes me feel better. I know a guy who actually uh, argues that his cats are in heaven. And, he, and when he goes to heaven, his cats are going to be there because, well, it just makes him feel so comforted, he says. And it's because he's throwing out the Bible. He's just decided that he can make God anybody he wants him to be. And here's the key, Anonymous. We don't know who God is if we don't have a Bible that we can depend on. So you've been teaching for 30 years and God hasn't convinced you beyond any doubt that his word is true. I've been teaching here for 27 years. I've been a Christian for 31 years. And I had to settle this issue very, very early in my Christian walk. Is the Bible really and truly the perfect, inerrant, infallible word of God? Now, obviously, our translations are not without error. There are copy errors, there are translation errors, uh, but the original manuscripts is what, what we always speak about when we refer to inerrancy. They're without contradiction, they're without error, they can be absolutely depended on. And what we do to gather our Bibles is we have so many fragments of those manuscripts, again, there are no original autographs left, but we have so many reliable fragments of those original autographs that by comparing them it's easy to come up with the perfect word of God and I can tell you anonymous as teaching it for 27 years I'm more convinced today than I was the day that Jesus himself convinced me that his Bible was his word and anybody who doesn't believe that doesn't know who he is if Jesus didn't love us enough to leave us with direction I mean, think about that. And the devil has been attacking the veracity of the Word of God from the beginning, and that's exactly what he's doing. Just now, think about your situation. You're crushed. That's your word. You've been leading people astray. How many people got saved? How many people's lives have you seen change as a result of believing and then teaching the inerrant word of God? And now the minute you start questioning it, all of that ends. 
because we have the, the ability, the freedom to make the Bible say what we want it to say. And every one of those theologically liberal blogs are people who are disgruntled. They're people looking for a God that they can form in their image rather than remembering that we were created in his image. In Anonymous, there is never a possibility that any fruit can be produced. They'll argue with you. They'll say Christian things. They'll talk about love with a complete lack of understanding about what that is. But here's what you know in your heart of hearts. The Bible is foundational to everything we believe. We don't worship the Bible. But the Bible tells us who the one we worship is. An unchanging, immutable God. And we have to know who He is and we have to accept Him on His terms. My final thought is this. You really need to sit down. Take a long walk with Jesus. Sit in a dark room, whatever it is. And you need to repent for letting humans with no fruit coming from their lives You've let them turn your mind and your heart from the Word of God. There's no other explanation. And the result is you're crushed and you're ashamed and now you don't know what to do. Here's what you do. You repent. You remember the things you did at first. Review the fruit that God has brought from your life because you believed in and taught the Word of God was infallible. You're in a real dangerous place right now. So look high. Look to Jesus. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. You've been listening to the Monday edition of the program. Remember, tonight, Sweet Summer Devotions for the Ladies begins at 7. Men's and Youth Studies at the same time. We'll see you tomorrow, Lord willing, on AM 630 The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh, celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630 The Word. The Word to Stand On for Life airs every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life is sponsored by Calvary Chapel San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.